The tyranny was broken by the sins of the father, and his shepherds finally ceased to roam, seeking instead the simple peace found in the comfort of heart and home. All eyes now turn to his heir and son, who forged their home with his power. Will he be strong enough to lead them in this, their darkest hour? Welcome back to The Lost Tribe, Darkest Hour. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow and subscribe to help me keep bringing the story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 25 After a short discussion with Casey, it was agreed that we needed to split up in order to increase our chances of finishing this thing. We decided that we had to use the medallions to communicate, no matter how fouled up they may be. It was a risk, but then that was how this game was going to play out anyway. Casey agreed to watch over Flynn and serve as our main hub for communicating, figuring that it would be safer to relay things to her than between us, when both parties were possibly going to be in enemy territory. The plan was actually very simple. My job was to go on my own to Tarosh and locate the missing operator from Taloth. My reasoning for going alone was simple. I could fly and the weird little familiar in my medallion seemed to be attuned to me alone. I hoped that I wouldn't have to enlist Anhar Barok, as he was definitely a second best to Simi, in memorial. His people were a superstitious bunch, and they treated me with a suspicion and fear that I just didn't have time for. They didn't appreciate me concealing my powers when I was among them, and many witnessed the fight between myself and Apostos the night I left. A little too much magic for people who found it, uh, distasteful. Henry, Takum, and Jules were heading for Anthem, into the city cathedral and check out Jack's old haunts. I didn't hold up a lot of hope for that mission, but I preferred to work alone right now. Frankly, I was getting tired of people I cared for getting drawn into a conflict that they wouldn't be in if it wasn't for me. I appreciated their loyalty, but the other side seemed hell-bent on causing as much misery as possible. I didn't know what I'd do if one of us got badly hurt in the course of this conflict. I knew it was a risk, but I'd rather suffer for them. What was the point of being a leader if your people couldn't trust you to take their burdens as your own? If there was anything that separated Father and myself as leaders, I would hope it was that. As far as I had experienced, Father cared only for one thing, the continuation of his realm at all costs. He had proved that time and time again. It was nearly evening now. I had slung Hearthblade over my back and had changed into my old coat for harsh weather. The eye scanning Taroj had seen very little of the storms that tended to roar across the great windswept plains and forbidding frozen islands that made up the majestic landscape of the world. The land that the people of Taroj inhabited was in the southern continent, where the trees were still standing and the game was plentiful. They had very few permanent settlements, favoring the nomadic life that had served them well since they first came to be on the world, whatever that was. I hoped the weather would hold until I was done with my search, but I had no idea where the enemy had stowed away the operative. I had unpacked the medallion from the iron box. It had resumed its normal shape. I wondered if it knew that we decided to do his master's bidding. I hung it over the clasp of the heavy dark cloak so that his chain wrapped around the pin. I was hesitant to wear it anywhere against my skin as it was kind of a thing of darkness. I almost thought of just carrying the box with it inside, but I remember what Silas had said, that it would lead me to their missing operative. Perhaps if I merely gave it a chance once I arrived. I stepped up onto the top level of the tower where we were gathering before traveling to our prospective worlds. Henry was wearing his official-looking quasi-naval uniform with a minimum of pockets and tools and the like. 
He had one of his little pistols tucked in a holster inside his jacket, which he had left unbuttoned only slightly at the waist. Takum wore a massive coat that he barely ever used. He preferred to have his hands free and his arms unrestricted by sleeves in order to get the full range of movement for his power. He also wore thick gauntlets that I hadn't seen since we took out Menon's forces in Trelane. I was not surprised to see the breastplate gleaming underneath the coat. Expecting trouble? Uh, I'm not fond of my homeworld, Nick. There's a good possibility that I'll run into people that know me. And they don't like me much either. And, you know, then there's... His eyes slid sideways to where Jules was leaning against the wall. She was adjusting a set of bracers she had me summon up for her. They were padded leather and wrapped around on top of the hands with a reinforced layer of thick chainmail. She had ditched the rest of her outfit as well, trading in her casual clothes for leather vest over a dark, form-fitting bodysuit with reinforced leather panels that covered her abdomen, thighs, and knees. She had chosen a pair of high, hard boots to match the rest of the durable-looking armor she wore. She had also trimmed her blonde hair down so that she was used to a fine, down-looking fluff. The sunglasses were gone, replaced by a pair of heavy aviator's goggles that I recognized from Henry's lab. Despite her small frame, the whole outfit made her look very tough. If someone underestimated her, they'd find out just how tough she could be. Well, shit, Jules, I said, watching her flex her grip in the bracers. I think any enemies will be fleeing the scene once I see you. You know, before they see Takuma and abandon wickedness altogether. Jules grinned a broad, white smile. Hey! We looked at Henry, standing there with his hands out and jacket open, pointing at the gun holstered inside. Julia turned her head to look and stifled a giggle. Takum ran one giant hand down his face and sighed. Ah, to hell with you all. It is okay, love of mine, Takum said, putting an arm around Henry. Size does not matter. Says you, big man, he muttered. Are you sure you want to go to Taroge alone, Nick? I'm sure. To be honest, I think I have to. I have a feeling that Cyrus meant me to do this on my own to prove my worth to him. Does that seem possible to you, Henry? It's not beyond the realm of possibility. But just remember that, despite the fact that they look human, they're really just solidified darkness formed to look like a human shape and possessing a meh, working knowledge of human emotions. Are you saying it's beyond him to manipulate me? Oh, I'm not saying that he's incapable of guile, I just think that he's got as much stake here as you do. Messing with you just wouldn't be in his interest. That's reassuring. Hey, you're welcome. As we finished speaking, Casey stepped into the chamber, with Flynn in tow. She was dressed very simply, but carried one of her pistols slung at her hip. Flynn seemed to have recovered from his little spell in the lab, and looked more alert and less pale. But he borrowed Jules' sunglasses, trying to cover up the fact that his eyes were glowing with a peculiar light, green-shaped. His hair was so long now, and fell over the sunglasses. I smiled and embraced Casey, who kissed and she held me close. You take care of him, okay? I whispered in her ear. Take care of yourself, she whispered in mine. As we broke our embrace, I turned to my son. Flynn, take them off. Let me see. Flynn shook his head. Please. Flynn looked around at the others. Guys, can you give us a moment here? Jules nodded and opened the door to the balcony. She motioned for the others to follow. Casey raised her eyebrows as even nod in appreciation. She herded the others out the doors. Jules was the last one to go out, and I caught her wink at Flynn as she went outside, walking real slow as she did so. I turned back to Flynn, and he had a little smile on his face, and his cheeks were a little red. Really? Flynn shrugged. She's got some years on you, son. 
not for long. She also used to suck the living essence from people for fun and terrorize thousands of people as a high potentative group of power mad assholes. Hey, people change. Ah, oh, the wisdom of youth. True. But realize that, despite what's happening to you, you can still take all the damn time you want deciding what you really want to do, okay? Yeah, okay. You also might want to remember that your father has the power of a god and your mother is seen as the angel of death in some of the more fearful cultures of the world. We might reserve the right to be a little choosy about your dates. Um... Just saying. Flynn took off his glasses. He looked at me through the bangs of hair that hung over his face. His eyes were a bright green, and the irises that expanded over his pupils. I could see tiny lines of energy radiating out, like veins, but more like bloody lightning. They glowed, pulsing with the rhythm of his heart. Did this happen to you too? Not exactly, Flynn. But I think you're different from us. More special than we are. You know how I asked you to stay around and not go out into the worlds? Yeah? If you start to feel strange or out of control, I want you to tell somebody where you're going. And get out into the countryside as quickly as you can. Let off some steam and do what you need to do. Why? To keep the other people safe here, son. I think it's possible that the power of your story needs to be used. And it's time that you find out just what you can do. Just don't leave home, okay? Okay, Dad. I reached down and took Flynn's hand. I held it in my own and squeezed it with both of mine. There will be better days, Flynn. I promise you that. He held my hand and hugged me. He was nearly as tall as I was. A warning flared up in my heart, and I struggled to stifle it. Thank you, he said, putting his glasses back on. I'll make sure no one gets hurt. Hey, I know you will. I stepped back from him, and then I opened a portal in the floor at my feet into Roche. I checked my equipment to make sure it was secure. A cold wind blew strong and biting from the other side. Safe travels, Flynn told me. I will see all of you as soon as possible. I took one last look at Flynn, seeing him for the powerful man he would one day become. One day, very soon. I jumped forward into the open sky of Taroche. Chapter 26 The Great Transway of Anthem, connecting all the major cities via a series of elevated iron bridges, was as old as the revolution that caused the surface of the world to dwindle and die. The sun shone red through the clouds of smog, casting light across gigantic spans, nearly a hundred feet across, that supported the steam-borne traffic of dozens of pneumatic machines that carried people and materials along the pump rails and grind rails which ran the length of the system. The machines crept along the transway with determination, some of the smaller machines, the personal carriages, moving with alacrity along the ground rail, which was made for such speed, while others, like the boxy, bulky auto carriers, plodded along on the huge, slow pump rails, hauling tons of material into the cities from the refineries and factories. 
There were spaces along the transway for pedestrian traffic, but very few of the citizens used them. The stink of the steam, the vapors from the polluted waters, and the general noise from the traffic made it seriously unhealthy for anything organic to survive unprotected. Only the poorest of the people, or those fleeing persecution from the agents of the grand design, walked along the transway. From time to time, some of the most powerful families of the great cities like Cathedral have used the transway to punish their enemies by kidnapping them and letting them walk back to the city, naked as they were born, exposed to the harsh elements of the outer world. They've even used it to punish disobedient children, Henry said, his voice slightly distorted by the heavy rebreather mask he wore. And here I thought my world sucked. Jules, Henry, and Decombe stood along the transway, clothed in heavy plastic hooded robes, reinforced with an inner tube lining rebreather masks, and heavy gloves. Henry had a cart loaded with three fold-up bikes used on the fast pump rail. Jules kept reaching for her mask to pull it off. Yeah, you don't want to do that. I'm pretty sure it'll grow back your skin, like I did, but it will be unpleasant. Better to tolerate the discomfort, really. We always stayed in the cities when we hid away here. I never knew about all this. Why bring us all the way out here if it's so bad? A couple of reasons, he replied, letting go of the cart handle. He pulled a long-barreled pistol up from under his rope and pointed it at Jules. The barrel glowed with energy. Takum moved, taking position just beside Henry, close enough to act. Oh, you've got to be joking. Please tell me you're joking. Not in the slightest. I have a couple questions for you, Jules. If you answer them to my satisfaction, we can stay one big happy family. If not, then I'm going to shoot you. Take the protection I've given you and leave you here to let the shitty world finish the job, once and for all. I know how strong you are, but my man here, he's stronger. If you try anything, well, I hate to repeat myself, I'm also sure that I can shoot you down before you go soaring away. Jules crossed her arms, eyeing the pistol, and eyeing Dakun. So, I can't run, and I can't fight. I believe you have the flow, Henry. Make with your questions. Great. The first one is simple. Who the hell are you? You don't believe, Mick? I have my doubts. Tell me how you died. Which time? Henry looked at Takum. What do you mean by that? Look, I thought my story was pretty clear, at least to Mick anyway. Manon killed me. He drained the life out of me in our castle in Tulane when he first came onto the scene. We fought, but in the end, he took me down. Then Father had his minions retrieve me from the underworld and remake me, without the shepherd's energy that Manon sucked out of me and made me serve him. I was dragged down and murdered again by Manal's mutated horde when I tried to stop the ritual on my own homeworld. Actually, that would make it three times in total. I was killed by the priests when I awakened to my power. They sacrificed me in a ritual to bring prosperity to the city. I ended up slaughtering the lot of them after I woke up all grumpy and such, then proceeded to lay waste to their civilization. You could say Death and I have walked hand in hand for quite a long time. Are you satisfied that I am? who I say I am. Again, he and Dakum exchanged a look. Henry put away the pistol and pulled out a roll of canvas instead. He handed it to Jules. I'm sorry, but you'll understand if I have my doubts. She unrolled the canvas and looked at what was painted there. She looked at it for a moment, then put it down. Then she handed it back to Henry. I don't understand. And when I saw you again, Mick told me who you were, I didn't get it either. There's something that we're not being told about you, Jules. I'm beginning to believe you honestly don't know what it is. But I think that after this is over, we need to find out what really happened. I... I am me, Henry. This body is changing to suit what's behind my eyes. But I know who I am. We know that now. 
Dickum said. But the other matter remains. What would that be? Oh, it's pretty simple. From what you've told us, Mick rescued you from the Underrealm and put you in a new body in exchange for your help in finding Jack. I know you can't portal away, but the question remains. Why haven't you taken off? The Julia that I knew, the Lethia that I knew, didn't give a damn what anything but power. As far as I understand it, the deal's done. Why not just fly away and lose yourself on the next world? Jules shook her head and began walking towards the cathedral. Hey! She spun her around, her arms at her sides, her hands balled into fists. My reason's on my own, Henry. No, it isn't. Not when everything we know and love is at stake. They stood there looking at each other. A few beats passed. Damn you, Henry. I love him, okay? What? I love him. I have since we met. But the dark part of me wouldn't let me give in and reach out to him. But when he brought me back to life, the darkness was gone. Henry hung his head. I'm sorry, Jules. I didn't know. Maybe because it's none of your business. It must be very hard for you, Jagoom said, moving to stand close to her. Nothing is easy, but I'm with you until the end. I guess I have a lot to do to figure out once this is over, right? We'll try and help you, at least with the first part. The second part? Can't do much about that. Casey put holes in you, Jules. Not that Mick would do anything, you know, but... Shut up, my love, Dagoom whispered. I appreciate what you said. Henry nodded and clapped Dagoom on the shoulder. Well, this has been fun, but I think we need to get going. He walked over and grabbed the cart. Lead the way, Jules said, adjusting her mask. Thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Keep sharing and subscribing to help me keep bringing the story to you. Come back next week for the next episode of The Lost Tribe, Darkest Tower.